Welcome to Insights, the podcast of Forerunners of America. And we're here every time to warn the nation from a biblical perspective and to help you respond in faith. We want to make a difference and we want to see God moving and protecting and strengthening us and seeing his kingdom advance. And today's topic is crucial on this, especially in responding in faith, but strong warnings as well. And that is we're going to be covering America's obsession with the occult. And in and we're not even often thinking that these are occultic activities at times. So we'll get into that a little bit as we go. But but first I need to introduce our guest today who's helping me unpack this topic. And he's been with us before. And today, welcoming Matt Bennett back to the studio. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thank you. It's great to be back here. Thanks for having me on, Dave. Great to see you. And Matt, I just want to help our listeners be aware that this uh, topic of uh, the occult slash spirits, what's going on in the spirit realm, this is not some new topic to you at all. You have study this tremendously, as well as you have um, ministered in various er ways uh, to people that have actually gone too far into this realm. So anyway, I just want to highlight your experience in this area. So if you could begin by just simply giving us uh, a definition of the occult, and does the Bible prohibit our participation in the occult? Yeah, the, uh, the commandments that the Lord lists for us, the Ten Commandments, he, the first one, makes plain, and of course we have this in Exodus 20, as well as Genesis, I mean, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 5, is that we shall serve the Lord God and serve him alone. So to go beyond that is where we get into trouble. It can be trouble in worshiping false gods like uh, Allah or Hindu gods or something like that. But it also, people can go all the way and and directly worship the devil himself. Most of the time, people don't go that overt. They just do different activities that approximate that or get closer to that. Some, again, not even fully aware. But if they engage in consulting the dead, well, they're engaging in in talking to uh, evil spirits. Or they do other things. If they do witchcraft or all these uh, you know, necromancy, mediums, witchcraft, channeling, all these different um, activities can be considered occultic and, and even at some level uh, dealing with these other gods. These other gods, they're real beings. They are demonic beings or fallen angels. So in some sense, that it's occultic as well. So what do you mean by just a moment ago you used the term channeling? What is that? Well, there's a lot of practices that people do to contact the spirit realm and channeling is when you have uh, you want to contact these beings you say or sometimes they think it might be a person who's died but it'd be an evil spirit who's speaking through them and people do that i mean there's a lot of these spiritual practices ceremonies rituals covenants agreements all sorts of psychics tarot card reading i mean the list goes on and on of all sorts of spiritual practices that involve interacting with evil spirits instead of um, our Lord. Uh, as you know from the scriptures, is named Yahweh, or the great I Am, and Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Right. Well, just to put an exclamation point on this, uh, I'm going to put up on the screen and actually read Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14. Uh, you know, th- this is huge to God. It's very uh, precise, and 
Uh, let's put that up on the screen. And it begins in verse 9 by saying, When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering, and do not let your people practice fortune-telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out of the land ahead of you, but you must be blameless before the Lord. Lord, your God. The nations you are about to displace consult sorcerers and fortune tellers, but the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. So, Matt, uh, the reason I got interested in this topic uh, uh, recently again and then wanted to have you on today is because there's been a couple Faith Wire articles um, that that they are quoting this uh, pastor, Mike Signorelli, actually in New York City, but he's talking about America's obsession with the occult, and we don't even know what we're doing. And he highlights things like uh, using horoscopes and this article, uh, tarot cards, and of course, witchcraft and different things like that. Uh, And he's suggesting this this is more common than what we're typically thinking um, without getting into the frequency and, and so forth. Um, I'm just curious in terms of what you observe, like what manifestations of occultic activity or or even just contacting spirits in general, what uh, w- which is occultic, but anyway, uh, what what are you observing in our culture? A lot of people do dabble with this, some more seriously, some periodically. I mean, some will have a, a psychic at a party or something and do that or just go once in a while to a psychic. And in New York City, you can walk along and see um, advertisements for tarot card readers and all these sorts of things. Uh, people engage in other ways, too, that they think are innocent but are not, like yoga, for instance. And the word yoga means uh, to yoke or to team up with uh, the god Brahma and and there's a lot of evil spirits associated with that. People try to call it Christian yoga. Nothing wrong with stretching, but you don't want to do yoga. That's a larger subject, but more Christians are being fooled with that. So both non-Christians Christians alike, also holistic healing, things, anything that has a spiritual dimension to it, but it's not the Lord himself is a problem. Because if it's spiritual, it's something. It's either the Lord and his angels or the devil and his uh, fallen angels. So which is it? And we got to know and discern because we don't want to go down that path. Okay. So maybe to go with yoga just a bit further, I've heard over and over from Christian friends that there's nothing spiritual going on with yoga, that it's basically a relax relaxation technique, stretching of your muscles, etc. What indicates to you that there's actually a spiritual side to this? Well, if you talk to people, Indians, and you talk to especially Christians who came out of Hinduism, they'll tell you that it's absolutely a spiritual practice. That's what it's about at its core and at its beginning. If people want to stretch, then stretch, but uh, don't practice yoga per se in that way. So I think if people Googled it on YouTube or something like that, you'd see this and even see testimonies. It's uh, it's how a Hindu person communes with their gods. And it's not just Brahma, but a number of other gods 
that they commune with by doing these different poses that represent that. Now, sometimes people say, well, if I'm at home and I just happen to do that pose. No, I think that's fine. But it's sort of like the difference of, uh, well, if I'm at home and I'm just praying on my knees and have my hands together, is that fine? Yes, that's course. That's fine. Well, what if I go into a temple and a uh, Shinto temple or if I go to um, some other place and get on my knees and do this? Is that a problem? Yes, it is. The context matters a lot in terms of the spirituality and what's happening. And it puts you at risk of violating the first commandment. And you don't want to go to some temple and get on your knees and pray like this and just say, well, God knows it's really about him. That's just not going to fly so good. So there's a lot of problems with yoga because of that. Uh, I think if people Googled a uh, article, I think it's Yoga Devotion in Motion. I forget the author. It's a very thorough article, though, that shows the problem of it spiritually. Well, uh, just moving on from from that aspect of all of this. So what's the allure uh, to get into the occult. Now, again, I think we're talking about things that most people don't even realize that they are getting into the occult based on different things. But what is the allure? Because there is a certain demographic demographic of people that are pursuing this. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, I think people are attracted. People want information, knowledge. People also want a measure of power in their lives. And that's attractive for people. And the spiritual world offers that to people. Of course, we're only to receive those from the Lord himself um, by the Holy Spirit. But for some reason, for a lot of reasons, people don't always want that. And they want uh, knowledge or information or power that's not given to them. And so they access that. Or it may not be power against other people or circumstances, but things that demons can do for you in some way, and they can do things for a person. Unfortunately, it is indeed a Faustian bargain because it comes with a lot of negative things too, which aren't disclosed to the person. These are deceivers and therefore cause a lot of problems. So people know that they're spiritual beings, and uh, I'm sorry, they, they themselves, we humans are spiritual, and so it's natural to reach out to the spiritual realm. Many are simply deceived. They don't know what that, that they're being uh, deceived, as Adam and Eve were deceived so many people are deceived today and thinking something's benign or okay or even of God, and it's not. So in that category of thinking it's okay and it's not, uh, not that many years ago, uh, I had a neighbor, and he and his wife, they put these um, jars, almost like the old-fashioned soda pop bottles, but they hung them, they were empty, they put, hung them on branches, so they just put the the branch right into the bottle and hung them there. And the reason they told me they did this is because they'd heard that that would keep evil spirits out of their house. So they're outside in the bushes, but they're not coming in their house. I mean, these people were sincere, and they really believed in a spirit realm, and they, they were doing this to keep spirits away. Um, so we're saying that that's prohibited. Like, just unpack that kind of mindset a little bit. Like, they're trying to do something good. They believe in spirits, good spirits, bad spirits, and trying to keep the bad ones out, like, what's the problem here? Yeah, that's a good example. There's a lot of deception out there, and they're using demonic power to keep demonic power away, which isn't going to work so well. And there's a lot of people who do this. This is what shamans do, uh, not realizing that the people going, they want a relief from some spiritual problem, but by using the spiritual realm for that, they might even get some measure of relief from that issue 
but they get demon afflicted in other ways because of that. So it's it's uh, it's a terrible thing. So uh, praise the Lord. We have authority and power in the Lord Jesus Christ to have protection, but uh, we can't use demon ways to protect us from demon ways. So when you talk about the power in the Lord Jesus Christ, I just think of how many times over the many years uh, for myself being in church that uh, that we say Jesus, the name above every name, and I'm not sure in America's version of Christianity we've understood the spiritual warfare aspect when we say that Jesus' name is above every name. We're saying his name is above all of these false gods that you had said earlier are actually representation of spirits and so forth. So this action, we say Jesus' name is above every name, it's actually a very powerful truth that we're declaring. Yeah, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, and we have authority in him to expand his kingdom. And that entails a lot, uh, teaching, loving other people, doing good things. But part of it is also directly addressing and sometimes expelling evil spirits from people. And it's the name of Jesus. It's under his authority. It's because of his delegated authority in that that we're able to do that. And it's an amazing and beautiful thing to see his lordship to come into people's lives and his authority and people are really terribly negatively afflicted. And then to have the evil spirits expelled is uh, extraordinary and radically life-changing for people. I keep pretty active in this way, among other ministries that I do, and did this two days ago and, and, and some a little bit yesterday too. I do a lot via Zoom, but I also do a lot in person. And it's uh, wonderful to see the authority that's been given in us and the radical relief and change that comes to people. Okay, so a couple times you've used this phrase, afflicted by spirits. We're obviously talking about evil spirits. So, um, like, how dangerous is this? Because I know that there's a a mindset, maybe if I can just sort of put it in my own words and summarize it, like, a lot of churches I've been involved with never talk about the spiritual battle realm or the demonic or angels versus demons or God versus Satan or any of this stuff. And it's sort of like, yeah, I guess Hitler probably had a demon or two he was struggling with, but nobody here in America is struggling with anything. And then, oh, by the way, if I did get involved in yoga or if I did do some of these other practices that we've mentioned already in the podcast, well, it's kind of neutral. It's not that big of a deal. So the question on the table is, Matt, how dangerous is this? Very dangerous and very prevalent. And and to to get your mind around it, what can be helpful is to refer even to the early church. If you read a document, let's say, um, for instance, the apostolic tradition by uh, Amena Hippolytus, he was a bishop and he put forth in this standard practice for people, for Christians, and to when they um, become Christian. And in this, the standard practice was that you identify with Christ, you repent of your sins and believe in Christ, but you're not allowed to be baptized for a few years. And during that three-year process, the the process was that every day that new person was to be catechized in the ways of um, the Lord. Also, their lives were to be examined to see if they were changing, and also they were to be delivered. And then when they were finally baptized, then the final deliverance was done by the bishop. So this was... Um, practiced all the time, and a lot of uh, well-known people in church history practice this, and we've forgotten how to do it in the West, and that's too bad because many people have a lot of troubles in their lives because of it. Now, I'm not saying 
of course, a lot of these troubles, which I may mention here, are always caused by evil spirits, but a lot of times they are, and that should be checked and dealt with. Um, sometimes depression can be caused by evil spirits and uh, suicide uh, can be caused by you or the temptation to suicide, as well as a lot of maladies that people have, other health issues that people have. I've certainly, by the grace of God, um, ejected um, Tourette's demons, bipolar demons. Again, I'm not saying these are always caused by this. I don't know about that. It's be hard to know whether that has happened, but I know that sometimes it is. So uh, and a lot of illnesses that people have can be caused by these things, physical illnesses. So it's, it's something to check along with everything else. Uh, even if it's not caused by evil spirit, of course, the Lord can still heal them. So I always want to lay hands on people and pray for God to heal, ask him to heal. But uh, sometimes it might require expulsion of an evil spirit. If you look at, for instance, the um, the book of Matthew, there's about 20 episodes of healing or healing and deliverance. About half of them, it, all it says that they were healed. And about the other half, it's they were healed and delivered. And the evil spirits was causing a problem and, and needed to be ejected in the healing to happen. So there's a lot there, a lot to learn about it. Okay. And obviously culture back then, different technologically, but in terms of spiritual battle and angels, demons, the spirit realm, it's the same thing that we have today. And I think we need to read the Gospels as such. It's not some wildly different culture, although clearly cultural differences between America and the Middle East and now versus 2,000 years ago, of course, but we're talking about things here at the principal level, which is spiritual warfare and how the enemy is always trying, as Peter said, prowl around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And that's really uh, essential at, at the heart of this podcast is to understand that we want to make sure we never get in a situation where we could be devoured or our children, family, whoever gets devoured. We're standing strong with Christ, worshiping Him and Him alone. Now, I do need to circle back just a little bit on a few things that you've said so far um, related to um, ejecting demons, you use the word deliverance and other things, but immediately when I hear people... Uh, or talk to people, immediately we go right into, well, this is exorcism. This is what I saw in some wild movie. Okay, so is there a difference, Matt, between what you're talking about and exorcism, typically what we've only seen through Hollywood? Well, exorcism is the term that Catholics use, and there are a number of different approaches that people have. There are different schools of thought with deliverance and how to do it, and or exorcism. So the Catholics generally have their style and emphasis. Pentecostals have their, but there's different views of what should be done and how it's to be done the best way. Uh, it's like any field. Um, there's, there's practitioners discover different things and have different views on it. But generally, it's the same concept. And that is you're looking to expel evil spirits. What Hollywood gets right is that a lot of the manifestations you see uh, or might have seen in some movie is, uh, is is what you'll see sometimes. You'll see um, supernatural strength. You'll see the demons speaking through them. You'll see them rolling on the ground, vomiting, all these sort of dramatic things, sometimes, not always. But then, but there's nothing to be fearful. I think Hollywood wants to make it a good story, and so they'll have the exorcist, the priest, or whoever, 
be uh, full of fear and all, all these things, but they're terrified of the name of Jesus. There's nothing to be afraid of. And you can go in with confidence. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just shift a bit here. Um, clearly, the warning that I hope has been stated or at least implied in our podcast here is that the occult is real, tapping into evil spirits is real, Satan is real, we want to avoid all of this stuff um, and uh, follow the Lord Jesus wholeheartedly. So the warning is don't get deceived or caught off guard entering into any of this stuff, walk with the Lord, but now we want to shift from the warning to how to respond in faith. So uh, we've been com- we compromise somehow. Uh, there's an issue here. Can you just help us, Matt, understand just very basic level, just how do we respond in faith? Maybe it's more along the lines of so we never do uh, find ourselves compromised with the demonic, or maybe if, if we have been compromised, but either way, just uh, if you could speak into that. Well, yeah, there is victory and power in Christ in these matters, but if a person has ended up being afflicted, and there's a number of ways in which that can happen, then I encourage that person to pursue freedom from that. Uh, it, a person sometimes want to do what they call self-deliverance, and it's not like that can't happen. It's just most of the time, and this is what you see in the scriptures, it takes a, another person to do that for you, to, to eject an evil spirit off of a person. A lot of people who experience negativity in their life for many, many years. It's because of uh, one or more evil spirits, and my heart goes out to them. It's been, for a lot of people, they've had a hard life because of that, intensifying temptations. Persons are always responsible for their own sins, no matter what, if a devil, uh, de- uh, demon has been encouraging them along something. But it can be a lot better and easier if you don't have that afflicting you, or other things. I mean, when people experience trauma, when they're young, they're almost always demonized in the midst of that. And a lot of the negative thoughts that people have, insecurity, feels, fear, self-blame, these often are evil spirits that are tormenting them for years and years, and that can be radically changed. Uh, so there's a lot to uh, that process of how to get free. We need a lot more people getting trained in how to minister in this way. Okay, before you go on, we'll keep going here, but before you go on, um, you're using uh, the term um, uh, people are afflicted, and then now you just use the word demonized. Like, why aren't we using the word possessed? Because I think a, a lot of people I know, again, my Christian friends would say, well, either you're possessed with demons or you're not. And since they don't know anybody that is truly possessed, uh, like the uh, the man with a legion of demons in Mark 5, since they don't know anybody like that, they assume that you know, we're not dealing with anything here. So uh, why your word choice? Well, the the word uh, possessed in the Bible, and in, in certain translations it appears, it's not, a, it's not a good translation. It's continued on because that's what the King James used mistakenly. Uh, and good translations like the ESV, they'll, they'll use, they'll translate it better uh, because in the scriptures, a person either, quote, has a demon or they are demonized. That is how it's written. Because the word possession, the reason why it's bad is that it it implies ownership in some sense. And for Christians, you're not owned uh, by anybody except the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've been bought back. So it's not a good word to use. It's not an accurate translation. So it's either a person is demonized or a person has a demon. Now, that being said, 
Some feel like and have questions about whether a Christian can be demonized. I believe Christians are demonized, and I can't tell you how many hundreds of Christians, pastors included, that I've seen demons come out of. Uh, Okay, so when you're saying demonized, again, you're saying in the sense of you're afflicted by a demon, and in what you just said, if I got it right, it's that you're owned by the Lord Jesus Christ. You're truly born again, washed in the blood, and he owns you, but you are still afflicted. That's right. That's right. You belong to the Lord, and you're a Christian, and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And there are some good teachings online. I think Sam Storms does some good work on this, as well as some others going through the biblical arguments, pro and con, on whether and how and why a Christian can be demonized, beyond what we can do right here in this podcast. But for those who want to check into it, they can. When I first learned about this when I was in high school, I remember, I think it was maybe Charles Ryrie, he put forward the view that a Christian cannot be. And that was my view until maybe the early 90s when I was exposed to teaching by, uh, what's his name, uh, the bondage breaker, guy Neil Anderson. And I got persuaded otherwise through his teaching and then on from there. Wow. Yeah. Well, um. As we go back here just a bit now and talk about responding in faith, um, I'm curious about your comments related to uh, trying to do this, but you know there's some other area of compromise, um, not with the enemy, uh, but with the area, some area of sin in your life. So again, I'm just curious what you say about that in terms of uh, repentance as well as uh, um, something I've highlighted on this podcast in other contexts is just simply that Jesus renamed Satan as the father of lies. And just kind of, again, how do we respond in faith in a way that we're actually free? Well, you need to get help. You need to get somebody to help you out. But if the demons gained access to you through your own sins, you absolutely need to repent of it. Because if you don't, even if someone could get them out of you, uh, they'll come back with seven more wicked than itself. So you do not want to go through all that. You want to repent of it. And it doesn't mean every time you sin that you're necessarily going to be demonized, but some sins are more problematic than others. And if you're violating the first commandment, uh, if you're doing something occultic, these sorts of things, it's a very, very high probability that you'll be demonized. Uh, whether it be yoga that I mentioned, and I've seen people delivered of yoga, demons and other such things or others, you want to stay far away from violation of the first commandment because there's a very high chance you will be demonized. So the first step is to repent every aspect of it. Uh, so maybe put slightly differently, it's just a lack of repentance keeps the door or gateway or however you want to phrase that. It keeps things open to the enemy possibly having access in your life. Uh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And it makes it harder to eject the demon and they have permission to come back. So you'll want to repent of it, completely close that door by deep, thorough repentance, and then go from there. A lot of people have demonization from unforgiveness, and it's very common. So they need to go through, forgive everybody, repent of their unforgiveness. If there are demons connected to unforgiveness, then they can be driven out, and they don't have the authority to come back. And then make sure when you do have something negative to you, forgive immediately so that you're protected from any of that kind of negativity. So unforgiveness is another kind of access point for the enemy. That's right. Any sin is, it's just that some are more serious and therefore more likely to have demons gaining access because of it. 
know, this is very helpful um, as we begin to conclude here. Uh, this is very helpful just in terms of, you know, we see in Ephesians 4, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, yeah. lest you give the enemy a foothold. It's like, okay, right. okay, it doesn't say unless you get possessed, but unless you're a foothold, afflicted, and this thing can uh, hijack more of your life and so forth and, and create more problems. And so you see this kind of idea in Ephesians 4. Of course, anger wouldn't be the only way. I think you've already hit on that, Matt, that, that there's other ways that there can be an access point into your life. I think of many other scriptures, though, once we kind of look at this from this uh, spiritual warfare, evil spirits, occultic kind of uh, um, uh, like lens went, that that's in place in our culture, that then things like Romans 12, 1 and 2 about renewing your mind takes on a whole lot more seriousness because, uh, you know, if, if we're renewing our mind, we're, we are coming under that lordship of Jesus Christ. We are closing off access points. We're seeing our thought patterns move in a righteous godly uh, direction. And if we're not, and our mind is not being renewed, well, then again, that would suggest uh, not just neutral ground, but actually access points towards the enemy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, this is an important part, I think, of a person's sanctification to be free of these demonic afflictions. But it's only part. There's so much there, other things. We need to be in the scriptures constantly renewing our mind, taking in great doctrine and being part of a good local church and being under authority and uh, praying constantly, getting fillings of the Holy Spirit, um, having exor- uh, exercising our spiritual gifts, having others exercise their spiritual gifts towards us to strengthen us. So there's a lot for us to mature and grow and be strong in the Lord. But this is one part that is also part of the part of the picture. That's a great final word, Matt. And so thank you so much for joining us on Insights again. I just want to remind people that I believe it was a little over a year ago uh, that we did some uh, podcasts together on five forms of judgment taught in the scriptures. And it was two podcasts uh, that covered those five forms. Extremely helpful to understand uh, what we're dealing with today and how to uh, uh, um, instead of being uh, part of what God judges, to, to see ourselves part of what God blesses and strengthens and prospers and so forth. So anyway, uh, I'll put, in the description, I'll put links to those podcasts as well. So thank you, Matt, for today. And thank you, everyone, for joining us again for Insights. I look forward to being with you next time.